podcasting from Chico, California, tucked in between some of Northern California's best freshwater fisheries. This is the Barbless Podcast, a podcast about NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fisheries management, and sustainability. If you have ideas or any questions for the show, leave the guys a voice message on the Barbless Podcast hotline, area code 530-636-2523. Also check out http colon slash slash podcast.barbless.co, where you can download past episodes and show notes. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at barbless.co and connect with them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash barbless.co. Here's your hosts, Chad Alderson and Nick Hanna. Fish on. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the... Barbless Podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Nick Hanna. I'm here with uh, co-host Chad Alderson. Chad, how we doing? Uh, moving. Uh-oh. Moving. Fun New stuff. Off- office. Yeah. House. You went and fished uh, Puda Creek. How was that? It was pretty rad. Yeah. Went with Jordan Romney, and um, it, it was pretty cool, man. We uh, got into some fish. I hadn't fished it before. It's a pretty cool place. There's, It's pretty bushy right now. Bean spring. There's a lot of uh, blackberry vines. Blackberry everywhere. vines. There's some. Uh, Seen any rattlesnakes? Nope, not a one. Yeah. Uh, saw some fish though. Caught cool. some fish. Cool. It's cool. Yeah. We well, shot some video too with Jordan. Some how-to stuff like mending, casting. Oh, cool. Uh, releasing. So we'll we'll put that up on the on the YouTube. Very in, cool. In a, in a bit. Well, um, we're here with uh, Val Aubrey. Val is our Eagle Lake specialist. Um, she's here to talk to us about uh, fishing Eagle Lake and um, Dennis, he, Dennis Pierce reference. Yep, he said. I think he said Ninja of, of Eagle Lake, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, I do have the Eagle Lake fishing uh, website. You know, for the fishing yeah. part. And, and which, what's tricks. that website? Uh, EagleLakeFishing dot net. Okay. Okay. And, cool. and Dennis said is it is the best source. Right resource for you. Yeah, I was actually on it today, and it was updated, current. Oh yeah, yeah, awesome. We'll get treasure trove of info if you're going to fish Eagle Lake. There's a lot that's changed there. So that's the first place I went to when I was a kid camping. I mean, I was probably two when my parents took me there, and I've been going almost every summer since then. um, Going out and trolling. You know, we obviously we started fishing conventional fly. You know conventional fishing and uh trolling around eagle's nest you know early in the morning waking up it was pitch black we, we were freezing you know my dad's trying to drag us out of the tent to go out there on the in the cold lake and it was all worth it the sun would come up and we'd just start catching tr- trout after trout after trout yeah. trolling with downriggers and it was a it was a blast it was a part of my childhood that i'll never forget um so and and I haven't really been back um like in, unfortunately and um I know a lot of people fly fish it in more in the winter time and um there's been a lot of changes people are talking about a hole being in the lake and all these different things but anyways I I'm looking forward to um hearing some stories about fishing from you. Yes, it, it wasn't exactly a hole. Um I think what you're referring oh, to Oh, the hole in the lake? Yeah, I think <laughs> what you're referring to is the Bly Tunnel. Okay. Okay. It was started in the late 1800s, and it went through a lot of uh, bankruptcies. And finally, in the 20s, uh, Leon Bly finished it, and they routed the water basically from Eagle Lake down uh, Willow Creek into Honey Lake Valley to irrigate the crops. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, they let a lot of water out. And what happened basically was the pH was so high, and they didn't test it, and it kind of high alkaline lake, high alkaline lake. It yep. usually is, you know, even the South Basin will run in the nines, low nines. Yeah. Um, on a good water year, we, we might see eight point nine, but on average, you know, when it heats up in the summertime, mm-hmm. uh, it, it'll in the South Basin will hit nine point two. Uh, pretty pretty easily mm-hmm. at you know seventy three degree surface temperatures. Yeah, and through mm-hmm. through history, fish and game and, and others have tried to plant bass and and all these different species of fish in the lake, but only that native rainbow trout can survive, right? Correct. Um, in high water years, uh, before the the tunnel let the lake level go down about thirty five feet, the bass did really well. Oh. They they could handle some pH. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, once it drained down and the pH went up, that's pretty much when the bass pretty much died off. Wow. Yeah. So, and you, you grew up there, right? You or I grew up fishing there. Fishing there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But so, you've lived there since like the early 90s, right? Uh, correct. Saying? I moved there permanently year round in 1991. So, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that that time, you know, that you mentioned your uncle being up there and paving the, the roads to Eagles, uh, to the Merrill and Eagle Lake campground and correct tell us what you must know some stories about what the fishing was like or what it was like back then well back then that was when the limit was three per day uh and three in possession that's low oh yeah yeah i was thinking it would be higher (laughs) like i thought you were gonna say 30 you were like three (laughs) how many five pound fish can you eat there you go i like it and uh it was (laughs) probably about the late 80s that they uh changed that you know, mid to late 80s, and they changed that so that you could come up and catch two per day but have four in possession. Right. So you could fish Saturday and Sunday and go back with four fish instead of just three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So but, is it a put-and-take lake? Uh, it's definitely a planted lake. Mm-hmm. Um, they grow really fast. Um, lately, uh, over the drought years, you know, it's they they've reduced our planting so much that you know over the drought years due to the elevation of it that um a lot of people had a hard time catching any fish uh the fish that is we this did in the, like catch, the last 10 years uh, this is a, basically in the last five years okay and you know for me you know yeah we last fall we did really well you know we were getting four i had three over five pounds um, but the numbers mm-hmm. weren't there, mm-hmm. you know, and to be perfectly honest, nothing eats better than a two and a half to three pound trout out of that lake. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. the bigger they get, the older they get, you know, the meat can be a little bit soft and mealy. That's with any fishery, I think. But exactly. like you said, that, that lake particularly has the best eating trout by far. Without question. What, what are they chomping on to make them so tasty? Uh, they switch food sources. They switch around with the availability and, you know, even by just getting sick of the same old stuff. <laughs> uh, we have shrimp, daphnia, a ton of caddis and, and uh, you know, midges and um uh, and you name it we've we've got it mm-hmm. um what's the second thing you said chironomids no 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 um you said shrimp and then after shrimp midge oh daphnia daphnia yeah what is that it's uh it's kind of a translucent it's got a little little head on it you know little 
pinhead on it, but it's very translucent. It's what really hangs up in your swivels, on your hooks, on your lures, on your downriggers, and in jet boats it will, uh, and it can clog your water pump up pretty good. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they, I was doing a little just research in it. I didn't know that Eagle Lake was the second uh one of the second, the second largest natural lake in California. Absolutely, it would be no kidding. Well, behind Tahoe, but Tahoe gets shared with Nevada. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back in the Pine Creek is one of the main tributaries for that, and I was I was reading that um, with the lake levels being so low and the drought that that's affecting their spawning habitat and the the numbers and and back even back back in the day they've wanted to put these fish on an endangered species list because they are, you know, Oh Lordy, don't I, get me started. <laughs> uh, this is why I'm talking. This is why I'm bringing it up. I want to hear about it. Okay. Well, you know, um, <laughs> decades ago, um, and, and I'm talking decades, yeah. you know, we're talking, you know, 60 years, mm-hmm. you know, the grazing industry and the forest service basically put impounded water holes on Pine Creek. In the 90s, and uh, they finished, I think it was in 2005, which is when our water started going down, they made seven lakes up in Pine Creek Valley. And those lakes basically hold water back from Pine Creek. Uh, They did it under, Forest Service did it under riparian habitat. So, um, you know, they, they take the riparian habitat away from the lake and put it out into the valley. And those lakes over the decades have really held back a lot of water from Pine Creek. If I was to guesstimate how much, I'd say it's about 60, 70% of the water in Pine Creek is held back. And it basically sits there and evaporates. And I mean, these these are big lakes out there. They're not exactly 1.75 1.75 acres these are acres and acres and acre feet of water um some of them six to eight feet deep and, it, and it's for the grazing industry and they say okay oh well it soaks into the groundwater and does all this well most of it evaporates mm-hmm. and then you have you know uh, 4,000 cows that are drinking it and basically, each cow drinks about 50 gallons of water a day. Whoa. So they have to have a lot of water. This and having the, the cattle in the Pine Creek stream bed mm. itself, it just totally degraded the, the stream bed. And to, this is, you're talking about decades ago and, and uh, into now. In, into even, right? current yeah. right now, right. today. Right. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And. You know, we we formed a nonprofit in order to um, do some work and nudge the powers that be to get the native spawn. Um, a friend of mine had actually filed the first petition to list it as an endangered species, which wasn't intended to list it as an endangered species, but to get the attention sure. to say, let's get this stream, this creek bed you know, back to the spawnability of it. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't come to an, an endangered species. Correct. Listing, yeah. And Fish and Game has been, you know, collecting eggs, I think, since like 49, 1949, in order to basically stock the lake. Mm-hmm. And over that artificial process, the method of which they were using 
all those years, uh, basically started degrading the quality of the fish. Sure. You know, I was finding extra bones in them, anomalies. I spoke with a geneticist about this, and he go and and he said, "Well, you know, look for this, look for that, and get back to me with what you find." And I did, and he goes, "Man, I can fix it. It's hatchery syndrome." And so basically, uh, through this petition process, interesting, um, our nonprofit. Eagle Lake Guardians wrote a, a letter to Fish and Wildlife and basically pointed out exactly what was wrong with why these fish can't natively spawn. Wow. And so basically uh, they ended up, Fish and Game ended up changing the method of the egg collection. Uh, historically what they did, they, they uh, milk out the eggs of, you know, two or three hens and then milk out the a buck, two bucks, per three hens problem was that the first buck fertilized everything so now over the years and year after year you've got brothers and sisters so there's not enough genetic diversity in the in in the correct and they were all looking the same they all look like clones you know and one of the things about the eagle lake trout is the the diversity of the spot patterns the colors Mm -hmm. you know and we are starting to see some of that come back they've only been doing it i think three years now Oh wow! So when when you said um, hatchery syndrome, is that specifically what you're talking about? When you're there's not enough genetic diversity in a in a broodstock, essentially. You know, um, I didn't get that far into it with the geneticist. He just okay. jumped in and f- got it fixed. Cool. And so that's what we're we're working with now. So, so we're in year three of that program. I believe it's year three. Cool. Yeah. yeah I mean, back it, it was a commercial fishery, right? I mean, people would come there to. To catch and sell these fish back then. Well, that was basically more in the 30s. Okay. You know, before they drained it down. Okay. Um, But, yes, we did have major runs of fish up Pine Creek. Mm -hmm. Uh, Could that, you know, native spawn sustain the fishery? No, probably not. Not with the pressure on it. Right. Um, Right. But, you know, this year our, our creek ran, what, 45 days I mean, it just stopped. It started, you know, March 14th, and it ended wow. May 7th. So wow. it actually dries up? Oh, uh, yes. Well, uh-huh. yeah, except for all those nice lakes out in Pine Creek Valley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So the sooner it stops flowing into the lake, the sooner they can get the cattle in. Well, that's the fisheries right. open from Memorial, uh, the Saturday on Memorial Weekend, mm-hmm. correct? correct? Until December 31st. December 31st, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What you smile when I say that is oh December is my favorite month because <laughs> there's nobody there and they're hungry. And, uh, very few people. We've yeah. got our December diehards. Yeah, it's cold. But, I mean, if you wanna if you wanna brave the weather, um, there's some awesome fishing to be had. But it is cold. Yeah, you you have to be prepared. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I I float tube and and kayak in December. I stop launching my boat basically in mid November. What's and, your secret to keeping your feet warm? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, I have perfected a pretty good method of keeping warm. I can and, imagine. And that I want to hear it. That is <laughs> layers, layers and layers. Uh, yeah, I wear at least three pairs of socks. And, wow. and that I'll, does I'll it. wear a, a smart wool, uh, lightweight smart wool, light to medium, under a neoprene, two mil neoprene. And then I'll wear a heavy duty smart wool over the neoprene. And then any waders that I buy, I make sure that I have at least a four mil boot. Mm. So, 
Okay. So you've got oversized waders in. Basic, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that's yeah. like probably at least an inch of, uh, of stuff Pretty on much, your feet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Have you ever tried alpaca? Uh, no, I haven't. So what no, the my, astronauts my used to use to yeah. keep, their, keep their feet in. The what? Alpaca. Astronauts. Yeah. Yeah, they used alpaca. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, tr- I've tried them recently. A friend of mine I met on, on the river, he had a, a beanie and socks, and I, I put the socks over. Uh, I always mm-hmm. have, my boots are always one size bigger. Absolutely. Because of what you just said. Absolutely. I, I read circulation is kind of important. Yeah, you, you do want oh, yeah. circulation, yeah. but um, I always want to put an extra pair of socks on like mm-hmm. you're talking about, whether it's a neoprene booty sock or extra layers of socks. Yeah. And that's just for winter fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have a pair of boots that I use for hiking in the summertime, which right. usually fit my feet normally. But. So I'm, I'm underlayered, then. I already know that for a fact because I just have – I do smart wall do and they then – Pull up my waders. Do on. they make a boot that's your size that big to <laughs> layer up? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> well, you know, you can get away with breathable waders up to a point. You know, I mean, it, it, for me, it's basically a matter of more layers. Yeah. You know. So when you them. say breathable waders, we're but, talking about Gore-Tex waders specifically, correct. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing is, when that water gets so cold. If you're in your float tube or you're waiting and you've been walking and mm-hmm. or, or paddling or kicking or, you know, something like that, the, when the water temperature drops below 47 degrees and you're at 98.6 inside, those waders cannot transpire right. the, the precipitation in your waders from your just sweat and working, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and so you will definitely get wet inside mm-hmm. and you will be wet enough that you think you have a leak. Mm-hmm. So basically, about December, I switched to neoprene hmm. waders. Yeah. I've always thought about putting my my wetsuit on underneath my Gore-Tex waders in, uh, in a situation that's that cold. You know? Pay to see that just so I can get well, that. We fish, we fish in below zero temperatures. Wow, quite often, yeah. and but it's that's more when the about, fish are biting, huh? You know, and it's I'm sitting in the water at 45 degrees or 39 to 45. And it's minus four or five or seven mm-hmm. outside. It's more of a matter of, of keeping your hands warm yep. than it is your feet warm because you're sitting in the warmest area right. of the lake, and that's the water. It's I, the air that's going to get you. I fished a little truckie in the middle of the winter, and, and I hear you. It, yeah. It's colder or it's warmer in the water than it is out. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, I want to get more in, into the fishing that you're you're talking about. Tell us. Tell us a little about the lake, um, kind of just the maybe the anatomy of it. You know, you kind of there's a south side of the lake, a north side. I mentioned Eagle's Nest, which is a real popular trolling spot. Um, it is fish. seasonally. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. It, Eagle Lake has three basins. There's a south basin, a northwest basin where Spalding is, and mm-hmm. the far north basin where Stone's Landing is. Okay. And um, they're all different. The two northern basins are the shallowest of the lake. Yes, yeah, so you can see it when you fly over. It looks just like a big bay. So right. does that tend to fish better during the winter then? Uh, it all depends on the water quality. Since the drought, most of the north basin had dried up at one point. Now we've got, you know, three to four feet of water in there. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of cover for the fish, you know, for the trout. The Tui Chub did go up and spawn there, you know, in, in the weed beds last year which was a first for them for several years. That's a good sign. Uh, yeah, so there was a lot of, lot of food, but not a lot of trout up in there. 
Good. Um, Bring those populations to each right. other up. And, right. Yeah. So, you know, last year for the trout to come up, you know, we were, we were dry. Um, you know, the spalding ramps were all high and dry and everything, yes. you know, up until last about. year. Wow. And uh, we got about five feet of water with a good, good runoff and, mm-hmm. and local moisture. And, um, you know, typically, you know, historically, I should say, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, we would easily have anywhere from seven to 10,000 fish come up to Pine Creek and they were stopped at the trap. And um, last year was the first year that it really flowed enough to get the fish in there since the drought. And we had 1,700, a little over 1,700. Mm. This year we had a little over 1,300. Wow. So you can tell even just by that how many trout are not coming right. up there. But, of course, they haven't been planted there either, so they're not imprinted. Yep. We uh, just got lucky. Interesting. So I was going to ask, do, so they, they can imprint on a, even a small water system like that? Absolutely. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a good sign. I mean, it's, that's, that's it's cool. the same way here locally with the salmon and everything. I mean, the drought has had an effect, but yep. it's good. You know, we need the water. When the water comes yep. back, hopefully those, those fish will come yep. back. Yeah. So, so Troxel Bay, that's the upper north end of Correct. the lake. You mm-hmm. said there's three basins. Uh, Correct. And then you work your way down. It's you got Rocky Point, and that's Bucks Bucks Bay. Is that the kind of middle? Uh, Buck, yeah, Bucks Bay would be still considered the northwest basin. Okay. You know, Rocky Point does separate that from Spalding, mm-hmm. but it's still out from that. It's all I think it's Delta Bay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the lower, uh, I guess the deepest part of the lake is that southern. Absolutely, the That's South Basin. The mm-hmm. South Basin. Yeah, we've got a you know a good eighty plus foot hole. Wow. Out there on wow. average last year, you know, 45, 47 feet. But we also have what's called Miner's Point, which is a big rock pile that's out in the middle of the lake. And that's why Eagle's Nest is so popular. Well, um, Eagle's Nest is deep water. Uh-huh. You generally don't find a whole lot of fish there early in the season they will inhabit that when it gets really hot when it when it's above 70 degrees it has to be 70 degrees on the surface for about five to seven days and then all the trout just move <laughs> into there. They there must, migrate is there a spring? around yeah, the lake. Ask, spring? Spring oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think there's something like 1,200 springs that feed that lake. Oh, um, wow. You know, okay. that was a U.S. geological survey that was done years and years ago. That's crazy. But uh, And then south of Eagle's Nest, you have what's called the springs. And I've taken a video camera down there, and you can just literally just see the water just boiling up from the from the bottom. Oh, cool! And a big steep ledge. It goes from like eight feet to forty five feet, just almost straight down. It's beautiful. Wow, beautiful. So, you mentioned Miner's Point. What is what is Miner's Point? Was basically built out of the gravel from when they built the Bly Tunnel. Okay. And they and they they brought all that material out. Of course, they were draining the lake at the time, too, so they, they could do that. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff under that rock pile. Habitat, <laughs> but, right? Uh, yeah, but, <laughs> but, it, but it does have enough habitat that when the fish are moving, you know, because they, they do, they move around the lake. They, that's sure. the nature of the Eagle Lake trout. They're sure. very migratory. They just kind of pod up and do their... No, yeah. no they're, they're pretty scattered in smaller pods. Okay. But once that water heats up, you know, anything that's been in the shallows, boom, they go uh, right to the depths. 
that's why your fishing eagles nest in July, yep. typically July, okay. August, and then kind of late August they get on the tui chub minnows, and mm-hmm. well, even July, but but they'll stay in the deep water, and then once we hit sixty eight on the surface, adios, they're all moving in, moving in, moving up, and it's all by temperature. Mm-hmm. So in mm-hmm. summertime, they're they're in there searching for the cooler water, and that's when we're using downriggers, getting them at forty feet. And then mm-hmm. in the wintertime, they'll actually go. And I've heard that these fish will go into the shallows and actually nose rocks. Oh, yeah. They're rock tur- flippers. And yeah. turn them over and then eat the bugs underneath them. Absolutely. Damn. They're they're rock flippers. They, they've been, <laughs> they go completely vertical. Whoa. And all you see is their tail. And they, they will, I've seen them work in tandem to flip over a big rock. And I'm talking what? big rock, flat rock. Whoa. But big rock. And then they work it and they flip it over and then they scurry all the bugs. Have you ever seen any of them use a crowbar? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, their lower lips are just bloody from doing that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was so, going to ask about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, you know, and it heals up when they stop doing it, but they, they got some pretty good looking good scabs on their lower lips. So that's yeah. the best time to get them on a fly when they're moving into those shallows. Into right? the shallows. And that, yep. So that's in the fall. Mm-hmm. You start yeah, spring and fall. Yeah. yeah. You can do it in the spring still, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. And and they will even in the summer if you have a, a hatch they, they'll still pop the surface sure. but they're they're coming up from the depths and then they're popping it and then they're going yep. straight back down again. Yeah. Now the last two years we've had uh, a lot more blue green algae. It hasn't been toxic or anything you know to humans or anything like that, but it has depleted that oxygen supply mm-hmm. below basically about twenty two feet. So where we were normally. I mean, historically, for decades and decades, like you said, 40 feet, that's about as deep as a trout in that lake will go, about 40 feet. Because, you know, historically, on good water, below 40 feet is where the oxygen starts tanking, and it just drops off, just boom, straight down. And the last two years, it has dropped off significantly at below 22 feet instead of 40 feet. Wow. So last year, well, 2016, we didn't really have them ever go to 25, 30 feet. Wow. They stayed at 17 to 22. Um, and that was where the oxygen was. Interesting. But the water temperature at that level was also 72 degrees. Pretty warm, yeah. But that's where the oxygen was. That's where the trout were. And last year, I had them for two weeks at about 27 and then, boom, they came right back up again into that 17 to 22-foot level. So it's a matter of adapting to our conditions. Right. You know. Which those fish have been adapting for forever. thousands of yeah. years. So are you actually taking OT readings or are you just, you're basically I'm, I'm getting assuming them, that No, I'm getting the them from fishing game. Okay. Well, cool. they, we used to test when, they used to test it weekly. Back in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. And now we're really, we're lucky to get two or three water tests for water quality. Mm-hmm. But uh, the ones when I I pretty much keep hounding them to get one to me. Uh, I do have my own monitor this year, so I'm going to be doing some, nice. some of our own. That's cool. Uh, so, again, we started conventional fishing back when I was a kid. And then I got into fly fishing and I heard about Jay Fair, yeah. you know, and, and hit, tying his flies out there. And, um, 
So I'm like, Dad, we gotta we gotta try these these J Fair flies on on the lead core lines, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah. like all the different colored lines that you would put out mm-hmm. on, on the on the conventional rod. And instead of a nightcrawler, I threw I tied my own J Fair flies and threw those. Th- ended up catching some of the biggest trout that we had seen come come out, you know, when we were yeah. out camping, and it, it just totally changes all. He was like, Are you kidding me? You know, like um, pretty cool that you know we can you can do that and and have a better almost fish better than live bait and i have caught more fish on flies on that lake trolling them or fly fishing them or trolling them in my tube or my kayak than i've caught on just about anything else wow you know and you know that was hooking up with jay in the 80s yeah and uh, fortunately we spent a lot of hours together playing (laughs) And and just playing on the lake. And, you know, I mean, it was nothing to have double digits in the morning. Wow. Just nothing, you know. And we released them. We, you know, even trolling flies, barbless, not barbless, you know, you, you still have a mortality rate. So mm-hmm. you're still going to have to keep one here and there that sucked it deep and ripped a, a gill. And, you know, so, um, but, but we played a lot. By playing, do you mean, well, so... One of the things experimenting, that, well, yeah. experimenting. He, he would say, he's like, where do you go to get your food? You know, <laughs> yeah. you go to the grocery store, yeah. you know, where do you think these trout go to get their food? <laughs> well, you know, we'd pull over and pull up on the beach and flip rocks. You know, we dissected every fish we had to keep, you know, yeah. but you know, we, we learned what they were eating in different locations. And, and you know, that one thing is about those two each up minnows. They love that fresh hatch, that that the the young of the year. That's the fish, what the after. fish the love. Trout the f- do. Uh, like the they want those little it's guys. Like veal for them. <laughs> yeah. Now we've had some bigger fish that well, you know, they might have a four inch, maybe five inch uh, tui chub in them, but pretty much the tui chub. Uh, this this is what people don't understand on on the the tui chub. They school differently than the trout. They stack. They don't need any oxygen. Well, they don't need much oxygen because they will regularly be down 40-plus feet. Uh, but they're also at 7 feet. But the, the school stacks on your scope. And then there's three distinct schools of tui-chubs. You've got your adult spawners. And then you have what I call the nursery, which is several years' worth, you know, anywhere from 5 inches to 7, 8 inches long. And they have... Some what I call the guardians. They've got some uh, uh, sub-adults, you know, not quite spawners that protect that particular school of tui-chub. And then you have the young of the year. So you've got one, two, and three. That's how I classify them on my website. Stage one, stage two, and stage three. And um, so the guardian tui-chubs in that, that second stage... Um, of the juveniles mm-hmm. they i've been in my float tube in my kayak and been right over the top of them here's a trout you know five six feet away just minding his own business and those guardians will literally run out of that school and hit that trout like a linebacker whoa yeah whoa. i mean a brazen fish for not having any teeth you <laughs> That's know crazy it is crazy and i i'm like i just always thought they were cannon fodder and just kind of you know just <laughs> kind of 
I don't know, cows. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they fight Just good. Consumption. <laughs> that's but, pretty cool. Uh, yeah, but to, to see that, and so now that's, I look for that. Yeah. You know, and, and it's pretty amazing that, you know, on a fairly regular basis, I can see those, those uh, guardians go out, and they might only be 10, 11 inches long, and they're slamming into a four-pound trout Whoa. and not thinking anything about it. Whoa. Yeah. So what time of year is that hatch, the small, the, the smaller ones the come off? The two-week job, well, it's, it is about water temperature for when they spawn as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, pretty much they're spawning in June, and they're hatching out in you know, mid, mid to late July. Okay. Uh, they do guard their beds, you know. So some of the, the young of the year, they do get above the, um, the spawners that are protecting their beds. But um, usually by August, there are the trout are on them hot and heavy, hmm. and they're on them pretty much the rest of the year. After yeah, that. and is that indicative of most lakes they have to each other in them? Uh, I would I would think so. You know, it would depend on how good a spawn they had during right. the drought when our north basins dried up because we have distinctive schools of to each other that would spawn up north versus ones that would spawn down at the south basin. Well, when they lost that habitat up north, it took them at least a year. We had one year of tui chubs that didn't spawn a lot. Um, but it took about probably a year for the northern spawners to learn from the southern spawners where to go. Now, the last couple of years, it's just been massive. And, of course, they just last year that they spawned up north. Hmm. But the 2016, 2015, uh, they they were prolifically spawning. Well, my buddies, uh, to to that point, they in the last couple of years they've they love going in there in the wintertime and fishing those two each other patterns mm-hmm. or or jays wiggle tail right. or a shrimp pattern or whatever that is from the bank, yeah. mm-hmm. catching these awesome trout. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's they compare it to like bone fishing the flats. You yeah. know. Uh, oh yeah, just, you sight a, fish them. Yeah, you can sight fish. Yeah. It's just a remarkable fishery, yeah. and um, they just—they basically said that that the, they haven't seen as many to each other in the last couple of years during that time. Mm-hmm. So it's a good sign, yeah. You know that they are—they're going. I got to fish mm-hmm. it this year. <laughs> bring bring your alpaca. <laughs> in December, probably go for in sure. August. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a real popular uh, on opening weekend. It's obviously a, a zoo up there, right? And you yeah. get a lot of people coming in, and yeah. I mean, you got fishing game stopping every car, making sure you know people aren't poaching and and things like that, which is good. Yeah, um, absolutely, which, which is good. Yeah. Um, tell us some more. Uh, so, playing you and Jay Fair. Well, we'd yeah. go trout scouting, and we'd go trout scouting. Yeah, I like trout that. Scouting, yeah, go a for great, a boat ride, a go name. check them out, scope them out, and visually look for them. You know, I mean, you can still just sit there and visually look for them even in the summertime because mm-hmm. you, you, they'll they'll come up and look around and go back down again. Yeah, talk about some cues, like maybe not looking at the fish themselves, but are there any environmental cues that will tell you there's trout in that area on a still water situation uh, i'm you know i'm i'm looking for disturbances under the water you know uh that might make a disturbance on the surface you know v trails mm-hmm. um just something different and then watch it move you know because you know they can be even three feet below the surface and you know that big old tail swimming along and it is going to do something to the surface of the water it's Mm going to disturb it Mm -hmm. now you need a flat lake of course to see that 
you know. But um, anytime you've got the wind, and of course Eagle Lake is known for the wind, uh, typically that, that brings the fish right up to, to the surface because it's getting oxygenated in the, in the white caps. And I pretty much will cover the bases in the, in the summertime. I'll have top lines out. And then I'll stagger some down in the, into the depths, you know, the last two years, not below 22 feet. But uh, um, I, it's amazing how many fish I will catch on the surface all year round mm-hmm. on Eagle Lake. Long, uh, floating line, long leader? Uh, floating line, sink tip. Okay. Yeah, get it down there a little bit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, Jay Fair lines. Yeah. Uh, he, he invented, basically, I helped him invent the lead core. We used to use... Um, a 30-foot-long, nine-weight um, shooting taper off of the floating fly line. And they're special floating fly lines. They're uniform they're running line or right. shooting line. 100-foot-long, yep. all the same diameter. Yep, yep. You know, because when you're fishing on the surface, you really got to get that line back behind the boat. Right. You know, 130, 150 feet behind the boat. And that's to it's, keep it's the fish, and once you grow over them, they're spooked, and oh, then yeah. they're going to come back. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You're moving them around. Yeah. Yeah. And that would, that, I think that would apply to, like, if you're back kicking on a tube or... Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just get it out as far as you can. Yeah. I mean, they even, uh, you know, those trout will, will still move away from a float tube or a kayak. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. They know you're there. I know you're we there. built a couple of those uh, trolling rods for mm-hmm. Jay that mm-hmm. he would that he would use, and yeah. it was amazing, you know, setup using that floating line with the lead core at, at the back, and then just he would circular make rod movements mm-hmm. in a circular motion, mm-hmm. and that would just get the the fly to pulse, oh, open and back. close the marabou. Yeah, get that open and mm-hmm. close the marabou. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very effective. Yeah. So you're doing like a like a beater. Yeah, yep. you're giving like it whisk. life. You're giving it life. Yep. And, and then it would usually involve colors that were burgundy, hot orange, olive. So he's he'd have right. the tip in the water and always moving the not in the water. No. Yeah, it was that'd be out. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, like and a, the best movement comes from basically having your rod directly behind a boat and then working a nice little oval. Kind of like if you're going to paint a canvas left there you to right. Go. You know, about eight eight inches, ten inches, okay. and and they'll all those fish will pretty much always take you on that down sweep, <laughs> just that 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 cool. split second hesitation, and then you want to set the hook to the side because you've got a hundred line you, out there. Yeah. Well, you got a lot of line out there, and you got a lot of belly, but you got a hundred and eighty degrees to set your hook. If you're coming straight up, you got ninety. If you Very got good point. if you go ninety over ninety degrees behind you, that fly is going to get spit. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. Mm. And then he always like copper. He always Oh, had, copper. Yeah, the o- copper foil came out in the basically in the 90s. He always yeah. loved in talking about yeah. copper. Copper is a material yeah. machine. Yeah. Just how trout loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And it shows up in cloudier water too, as opposed to even gold or silver. And I mean, trust me, we tested copper, gold, silver. <laughs> we tested them all. Sounds What's, like you guys had your own little science experiment up there. Oh yeah, well that's what I talk about playing. That's pretty Jay cool. and I playing. Yeah. You know, dyeing your own marabou and all that. Mm-hmm. So what? What's your favorite color for fishing Eagle Lake? Uh, dark brown. Cool. That, yeah. So that's like that rust burgundy kind of. No, no? mine, uh, you know. That's like more I of said, the lighter I, brown, I guess. When Jay first started him, he had a beautiful brown fly. And it really looked like the what we call the cinnamon leeches in the water. Um, the leeches themselves also change color with the water temperatures. 
you know, where they're almost a tobacco brown early in the season, and then they go to a little bit more of a fiery brown in the summer. Jay's fiery brown yep. and just a hint of orange glisten to it. But come December, those things are almost purple. Black. Can I get yep. black, huh? Yeah. Well, we have several different varieties of leeches okay. in Eagle Lake, too. So, you know, as very small, I guess you'd call them larval leeches. They're, you know, just little baby leeches. They're stuck to the bottom of my boat, and they are as orange as orange can be. Wow. Yep. The leeches are? Yep. Yep. I know the scuds I, I know I, the scuds get orange, but the scuds do. That's all by water temperature. Okay. You know, the scuds and the shrimp the too will turn orange when the water they'll be orange when the water temperature is below sixty degrees. So they get olive, more olive and kind of a tawny olive in the summertime. Oh. And then they kinda once that water starts cooling off and then they start going orange again. Oh. That's why orange is uh, a right really that, good color on the. That's on Eagle some good Lake. info, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right there, that's really cool. I didn't. I had no idea that the leeches would actually change. Yeah. That well, I tell why you orange? What, I, why? What do you? What is that? I what? have no idea. I just know that you know when I worked with the biologist back uh-huh. in the, the you know two thousands between biologists, um, my boat. You know we're putting my boat to bed and we're scraping off these orange things and we put them under a microscope and they are definitely leeches wow yeah but they were maybe a quarter of an inch mm-hmm. long huh. and then you can also see the see them in the clouds um in the north basins where it's really shallow you can see there's shrimp larva mm-hmm. okay and that's it's in a kind of a pale white yellowish cloud in the water and the leeches are in a reddish cloud in the water. Mm. And we've seen this, and we've seen it and everything else and, and uh, come up with why, what the different clouds were in the water. You know, you can see them better wow. in the north basins where it's shallower mm-hmm. than you can in the south basin where it's deeper. Mm. You know, but uh, we have, uh, you know, what I call applesauce with eyeballs. <laughs> and, and those fish will load up on it. It's about, it's about 61 degrees surface temperature is when the shrimp really start kicking in to spawn themselves. And then the, the trout mm. just lay in this layer of goo. And they just filter feed, and they hardly move at all. I was going to so. say, like, well, like sperm whales. They'll just yeah. kind of go through it and <laughs> feed all day. Yeah. When I want to go scout trout some uh, – uh, if I want to go scout trout, and where, where can I find those fish with a floating line long leader in the toolies? When When's a good time to do that? Well, we do have new toolies. They did my finally migrated, but we don't have the water temperature. It's too shallow yet in the toolies to okay. really get good tr- fishing in there yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. If we got another five feet of water, mm-hmm. you'll knock them dead. Okay. We need another five feet of water. And that will inundate the new toolies. Mm-hmm. I mean, the old toolies are still out of the water. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all the new toolies that are coming up now. Let's, and uh, but it, it'll be a whole new ball game when we get the water back. Let's talk about that because you know, access has been an issue with that lake and, yes. and launching boats. So mm-hmm. if somebody wanted to go launch a boat there, you know, we I grew up doing it out of um, – what is that? The Eagle Lake Marina? 
correct? Right. And they and had that Gallatin. big spit that came out, and mm-hmm. you would you can launch your boat and then go around the spit and come out. I, I yeah. went. And I saw pictures from just last mm-hmm. month, and there's there's no water there. Yeah. Well, it hasn't been any water. I think 2010 was when they was wow. the last time we could. That's do crazy to me. They put in a new low level launch ramp on the outside of the jetty the okay. spit that you oh, they we did. call it we call it the rock jetty okay it's a breakwater that protected the harbor yeah and um uh so it's a single lane so especially the madhouse opening weekend which is coming up yeah you know they do have people there trying to keep the flow going so mm-hmm. that it doesn't take so long for people to launch mm-hmm. uh be in a single lane it's it's the guy that didn't check his battery or uh, you put know, the plug in his boat. Or put the plug in his boat that <laughs> kind of stops everything right there. But you know now it's like okay, well this guy we pull him around the dock, so you know <laughs> we won't let your boat sink. We'll pull it up on the gravel bar, but yeah. you got to let people go. Yeah, yeah. You know? yep. So Spalding, we have uh, the south ramp. Um, We'll get some temporary launching. I was out in the channel in my kayak, and I did some measuring last week, and we've got about three to three foot seven inches uh, feet of water in the channel. It's a very narrow channel that goes out to the lake. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was dredged um, in the, uh, oh, gosh, I can't remember what year, 2007, maybe, Mm -hmm. eight. And, um, you know, so it's holding up. Um, last year we could launch temporarily. We had a lot of weeds because that was the first year that the water came up into the channel. Uh, this year we still have the weeds, but they're not bad yet. They're not bad yet. So we will get some, some launching and spalding. It's just a matter of being careful, heading straight out, keep that center of that ramp right right behind your boat, and you'll be in that channel. We did have white pipes that kind of marked the channel, but the ice coming and going last winter kind of toppled them over. (laughs) Um, A few of them are still there, and they are just barely under the surface, you know, um, diagonally from the ice shifting. So you have to be careful of that. I would assume somebody might go out and put them back up before opening. So those are the only two places to launch a boat? Correct. Mm-hmm. Or you can do a float tube or whatever. Off you know, the, float off tube, the... kayak, you know, yeah, you're going to work yeah. for it. You're going to work. Right. Well, yeah. talk about that too. I, I've been there and before, you know, and, and seen some of the, the craziest summer storms come through that lake. Yeah. Uh, scary. You oh, know? yeah. I mean, hail and wind and white caps and you do Lightning not, hitting the trees not, in the campgrounds. Yep. You do or, not want to be on that lake yep, when the wind too. picks up and yep. you see those white caps. It'll. It, I'm sure you will tell us. You well, I, I, almost sunk, of, I almost sunk my boat last year, which <laughs> was the first in 50 years. Wow. But, um, you know, what happens is you've got the, the deep south basin. Typically, if we're going to have a big wind, it's going to be from the south or the west. Mm-hmm. Um, seasonally, we have north winds like early in the season, and then it all shifts to the summer patterns. And um, if you get the south and the west wind blowing, it's blowing all that water from the south basin up to the north. And it's deep water, and then it hits like about 30 feet of water from say 47, 50 feet of water, and then it hits 20, and then it's starting to hit into the the shallower rock piles at five to seven feet deep. And those waves, they might only be three-footers out in the deep water, but when they roll up over into that shallow, they double in size. Whoa. So I've got a 19-foot, basically, ocean-going jet craft. Mm-hmm. And 
I took a wave that it, it just bypassed my bow and hit my windshield. And of course, oh, then it did fill up my bow. And I've got, you know, two inch holes in the side of my bow and it just couldn't drain that wave fast enough. I turned around, went with the, the wind and the waves, got yeah. all the weight in the back of the boat so I could drain that water out of my bow. Then, then I tacked home, which, well, back to the ramp, I was pretty close to spalding when that was happening holy cow my 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 thought went well i can always go to spalding and hitch a ride back to get my truck at the (laughs) south end and you know (laughs) but uh i I ended up turning around and and i just tacked back and you know once i got into the deep water the waves were nothing you were by yourself out there no i had my sister and her friend out we've been out there since the the, you know the 60s right and you know we've taken water on like that before it was just a matter of you know know what to do don't panic and just get it done. so when you say tacking explain that to people because i don't think that some of them understand i've had um, to do it before on almanor yeah almanor gets can get the same way you know and it's just a matter of a stay closer to shore Yep. Of, but not into the shallow water because if you've got a five foot wave and six foot of water, you know, and a f- motor that's three feet down, you know, you, you you're asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. But you know, you just quarter the waves, quarter the quarter waves, quarter them again and quarter them again. Yep. And, so instead you know, of doing that straight line you're nor- used mm-hmm. to doing, you're kind of zigzagging, yeah, zigzagging and, you, and riding those waves at an angle, basically, yep. right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've uh, <laughs> been out there in a sled you know at the wrong time having to do that in a, a 10 minute boat ride took yeah. about 45 minutes well you know and that's one reason i i got a sit-in kayak for eagle lake instead of a sit-on kayak i mean i, I can take about a foot and a half wave in that sit-in and not mm-hmm. get too wet but you know uh, sit on you're gonna get wet and in december you better be wearing some waders you know because you're gonna get wet and cold Wow. You know, and it's another thing too. It's you know, never get too far away from where you're parked. Sure. You know, yes, I always do check the wind speeds and stuff for the day. I check them periodically when I'm out there, you know, on the weather charts and stuff, so that I know what's going on. Because I can, you know, I I usually launch my my kayak or my float tube at Christie or Wildcat, and I'll go the direction that the wind is supposed to come from. That way, when it comes up. It'll blow me back Easy, to the yeah. truck. Yeah. You know, so that's how I plan my float tubing or kayaking for it, the day. Yeah. For that, the day. Yeah. So like if I'm, if I'm doing a big distance on my, my tube, I'll go in the morning because it's usually there's no wind and I'll always go up above the truck and I'll park down to where and then let the wind kind of yeah. get me back. Hey, you know what? Worst case scenario, it is a friendly bunch of people that go yeah. up to Eagle Lake. Yeah. Somebody will get you back to your truck. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. I um want to get back to the oxygen thing for mm-hmm. a second. <laughs> sure. So been, Your mind's been yeah. You've I've been, been dabbling like, over yeah, there, I've been yeah. just chewing on that because <laughs> it, it's interesting. Because um, you know, if there's like a Goldilocks zone for oxygen, is what it sounds like. How you describe it, these these trout like that certain oxygen content at a certain level, and I'm going to assume that that fluctuates based on vegetation Water down at the bottom. Uh, wind at the top. Um, one that you you said you have your own way to measure it. What's the tool you're using? That's my first question. And then I'll have a. Little, it's a little YSI follow-up. monitor uh, for pH and um, 
dissolved oxygen. Okay. And are those expensive? Uh, yeah, about $3,800. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Guess I won't be getting one of those. <laughs> and that is to go to Chad's those so depths. Bummed right now. To go to those okay. depths. Okay. You can get a cheap one that does surface. You know, you you can get those for less than a hundred bucks. Okay. But in order to go down to the basically the bottom of the lake, yeah, yeah, you're you're going to be spending the money for that. So did okay. Do, so does the 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 oxygen sweet spot is going to change based on. See, it's seasonal, I'm sure, and a bunch of well, you environmental know, factors. But uh, you know, it, when the water temperature drops below fifty, more like forty-five, forty-three degrees, it's all the same oxygen, pretty much all the way down to fifty feet. It's very well mixed. When you have the heat of the summer, and the lake forms the thermoclines, the stratification. The stratification yeah. is what's going to get you. Okay. Okay, and like we were talking historically. You know, with higher water levels, those fish should be, you know, 30, 30, 30 40 feet deep. 40 feet, yep. at the very most, 40 feet. The deepest fish I ever caught there was 41 feet, a, a trout. <laughs> wow. You go below that, you'll get a chub, you know. <laughs> but uh, it was all about the, the dissolved oxygen. You know, we'd catch them 30 feet right on the money. Yeah. I mean, we'd literally measure our, our bait lines to set the sliding bobbers. 30 feet, 31 feet, right in that zone. And you'd go out in the morning and wham, bam, you're done, you know, before sunrise. Go home and eat breakfast and finish your coffee, you know. Um, I like to be more in pursuit. I like to troll or fly fish or float tube or kayak, Me too. you know, yeah, to I'm be in, in the pursuit. Instead as of staring at a bobber. Mm. And the last few years, well, since the drought, the bait fishing hasn't been that good because – People are set in their ways. I always caught them at 30 feet. Mm -hmm. I, you know, okay, well, I'll go to 38 feet. And they're just not there. So what you have to do is bring it up. Hmm. And that's what I've learned over the last couple of years, you know, because I've fished it all my life. I was always 30 feet. You know, hmm. I had to adapt to the changing conditions of the lake. When we had more water, yeah, we still had blue-green algae, but, you know, it wasn't anything that really clouded the water up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The last few years, it's been very cloudy. It just goes to just pea green. Wow. Mm. And uh, I've taken video cameras down there. I can't see two feet. Well, if I can't see two feet, you know, I All mean, right. I, I lost the bottom of my boat looking up at seven feet, wow. looking up into the sun. Mm. I lost the bottom of my boat mm. seven feet. That's cloudy for Eagle Lake. So you're fishing some bright stuff. Uh, the last couple of years, I've had to change up. Yeah. 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 Well, are the fish affected? I was going to ask you this earlier when you were talking about it with the warmer water temperatures. and Not, having it, or, not so much yeah. um, as in You see themselves. marks or, you know, the meat you know, or anything. Because the meat, you go back to the orange of the leeches, and that's the most pink, orange meat you've ever seen on any but trout. it doesn't matter where an Eagle Lake trout is planted. It's going to have, have orange that, meat. Yeah, right. That's you know? the genetics. So, it's, yeah, right. it doesn't matter what they're eating. Yeah. You know, they eat, you know, minnows for months and months and months. And that doesn't still, change yeah, the color right. of their meat. You're right. Mm, you know. Good point. Um, you can probably add some color to other um species of trout that are typically lighter 
or white meat, and mm-hmm. you can probably get a little bit of a tinge with a little keratin, but you're never going to make it a bright <laughs> orange salmon-colored meat like an Eagle Lake trout. Yeah. Huh. Um, we do have variations in the color of the meat, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, in every salmonoid, there is a white meat. I'm sure you've caught some salmon that yeah. have yeah. very white meat, yeah, but they it's call them the, very uh, the albino, Like the albino king, that white king or whatever. It's mm-hmm. really sought after as far as... A, a very, very low percentage, but it happens in all salmonoids yeah. and trout. Interesting. And Eagle Lake does have that trait. And when you uh, have a manipulation of that, and I mean, it happens in nature too. Mm-hmm. You can have, say, a white-meated buck and a red-fleshed hen and then their offspring are going to be a little bit lighter orange, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or at least a majority of them. Interesting. Um, you know, is it a recessive or a dominant? You know, I don't know. I just know that there are different shades, and it typically comes from a white and a red. And you can't really tell by looking at them. You, mm-hmm. have, to, you have to get into them, you know, to tell mm-hmm. what color of meat they mm-hmm. have. But we were getting to the point where we had a, really an exponential number. I mean, I was getting 30% white meat. Wow. Huh. And that was before, you know, they changed the, the spawning, you know, the way that they spawned the fish uh, artificially. So that's back down to at least a tolerable level, you know, where I might, you know, say out of eight fish, I might get one that's a little lighter or white, mm-hmm. where I was getting, you know, you know, three to four out of eight, ten fish that were white. Yeah, did we did we talk about how they changed the spawning regimen? I know, like the artificial piece of it. I know we talked about the the issue was that the first buck was was fertilizing All everything. Correct. So yes. Did now, we talk about how they fixed it? No, no, yeah, we didn't. Yeah, let's. Well, now they have to. Uh, they've been taking a uh, snippet of the tail. They're doing DNA studies on each pair. That they're, and they're only mixing one hen with one buck now. So there's a whole lot less chance of, you know, three hens and one buck. So now we're, gonna, we're getting back to more of the diversity and a little, you know, strengthening the gene pool. Um, it wasn't really determinable genetically as much as it was aesthetically, mm-hmm. you know, and with the extra bones and stuff, but fortunately we we did catch it, and you know it's it's fixed. I just did this with twenty three awesome. and me and, and my girlfriend, and it came back that we're not related. So that's a good. That's oh, a, hey, that's, that's a good. good. And what else did you what else did you learn? <laughs> what else did you learn, Guido? <laughs> that I'm not as Italian as I thought I was. <laughs> oh, uh, told your whole life. I know. That's all right. The fish don't care. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. You, you look you. Italian though. <laughs> I'd still just tell everybody you're Italian. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, so if uh, fishing, I, I, I know a lot of our listeners, they want to hear more about this, the fishing. So if you were to have two rods uh, with lines on them, what would you recommend? Fly rods. Mm-hmm. And you're well, going to be in a tube? Well, yep. And you're going to be tubing out there. And whether you're going to be fishing from the bank or, you know, float tubing and in I the wintertime. And I got a follow-up question to that. What would you, what would you recommend? Uh, number one, I'd go tandem. You know, fish two I'd, rods. I'd put, yeah, well, I'd go tandem on a on the fly on the the tippet. I'd run two flies on. Okay, you know, oh, uh, like a uh, streamer, like a streamer, and then the scud yeah, behind a, it. A streamer and a scud on one, and maybe a you know uh, prince nymph or something. You know, something different because the, the, 
they're going to take whatever they're going to take they're going to take it again mm-hmm. you know so it's a matter of, of every day that. but i pretty much always run a small brown leech you asked me about my yeah. my favorite yeah. color on that lake yeah. is a brown my five pound six ounce was on brown how long uh, it was a number number 10 uh brown leech off my fly rod mm-hmm. yeah mm. And then as far as a fly line, is it just like a type three or a, like a intermediate clear? Do you well, like the heavier, the well, faster sink? No, I like the slower to medium sink. Okay. Um, because I can let it sit there and I can let it drop to 12 feet or more. Yeah. I use only nine foot tippets there because sometimes they don't come in. They'll just stay out on a, at a 10 foot ledge, especially with the, the water being lower, lower yeah. you know mm-hmm. and so i can just let it drop or you know you mentioned the j fair wiggle tails mm-hmm. those are weighted mm-hmm. they've, they've got three wraps of of, mm-hmm. of lead in them mm-hmm. so that you can just let that one sink off a floating line in my tube i'm pretty much always drifting and so that floating line doesn't work as well for sure. me you know where i'm always kind of on the move you know where i you know, especially after the first hatches, you're going to have to get down there a little ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like uniform sinking lines on that lake because our fish are so delicate when they when they're just you know trying to sip that fly. Slip it, yeah. yeah. Yep. That by the time you feel it on you know by the time that fish pulls that belly out of a uniform sinking line, he's gone by the time you feel him on mm. the rod. And by using a sink tip. I can use that floating section of my line as an indicator. Yeah, it's almost and like can, drag, a little more drag. I on can the that's line. like Hal Jensen's book talks about. You know, basically all the different prop, properties mm-hmm. on the water surface of right. what, what that fl- floating line will right. look like, depending upon what's going on underneath. Yeah, and if I run into a guy that's got just nothing but a floating line, I usually carry a little section of lead core, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I can loop that on and put mm-hmm. it. You know, eight ten inches is mm-hmm. all he needs. So you can still cast it. And with the like a slow to medium sink, if I'm seeing them really in close to shore, which one of the things is you, you can, if you don't fish that water, fly fishing before you walk in it, you're gonna move out some of your biggest fish, uh, you know. Mm. And I always tell people, you know, Jay, he used to just kind of squat down and and uh, and just kind of dangle his fly in, you know, three or four feet from the shoreline. <laughs> You know, me, I can't get up and down that fast, so I stand back about 30 feet, throw out some double hauls, and I just drop it three, four feet from the shoreline. I've come up with my biggest fish doing that. Wow. How cool is that? Um, Friends of mine, and they're going, well, you know what? I I walked out there, and I started fishing, and and my back cast, my my fly dropped, and I went, oh, man, and I'm starting to strip it back, and all of a sudden, I catch a fish, and he's behind me, and I went, (laughs) well, you idiot. You should have have fished that water before you walked in there. But they do. They'll they'll come in around behind you, too. So, I've got a a question about um, depth, like because I, I haven't been fishing that long. Mm-hmm. So when you're dealing with, say, uh, and this is probably for both of you, I still don't know how to properly gauge where I'm at when I first cast out, like, depth-wise. Let's say I want to be at 20 feet. Like, what do I do? What If you want to be fishing at 20 feet? Yeah. Yeah, it, 
so ha- knowing that lake with a fish finder, right, or, and having a knowledge of that, first and foremost, whether it's a string tied to a weight that you can drop down below your boat and know what that depth is. So step one, you got to know. You got to know the depth. depth-wise. You got to know the depth. Step two is to have, you know, like she talked about, two rods, one slow sink and one that can get down a little bit deeper. And you have to just do a countdown method, like literally cast out and you count down 20 seconds. 30 seconds and then you start retrieving right. and if you feel the bottom you know you've gone too far yeah. so you gotta okay. back it up to like 15 seconds i really highly recommend a depth finder yep even i on have the it float on my tube. float tube yep. and i have one on my kayak yep. it weighs about a half a pound i've got the slide mount you know runs on batteries i get three full days out of out of four batteries that is my most indispensable tool on Eagle Lake mm-hmm. because you can be in 40 feet of water and then all of a sudden you're dragging your butt over a rock pile. Mm. So you, what you need to see is where it goes from that, that gradual, 40 right. to, to that. Yeah. You know, well, some of them aren't so gradual, but it's got so many beautiful rock piles. Mm. And those fish, yes, they hide in them all the time. They'll just sit right in that shelf area. Oh, yeah. Well, they'll yeah. sit in the shade, too. It just depends, so you, you know. You said earlier <laughs> um, on your float tube, you said you drift? Uh, uh, yeah. So you don't back kick? You don't, like, uh, well, you don't no, kick I kick. all that much? Believe okay. me, I kick. I, I'm, I kick when I'm going from point A to point B. I can actually do about 2.2 miles an hour. <laughs> and uh, so I, I I can actually get from Christy to Wildcat in about yeah forty five minutes. Okay, and that that's a long. What boat are you? Kick. And that's in your. Kayak? That's my float tube. Whoa, my that's float crazy, tube. man! What, uh, what uh, fish finder do you like to use? Yeah, that um, my next you know I, the one on my float tube that I really like, and it's old. You can still get them. Is it the but fishing, it's a fishing buddy? buddy? Yep, the fishing yep. buddy. <laughs> is that the is that the all self contained uh-huh. one? With uh, the the self contained one, and you that's know, what I've been looking at getting. That thing just, it looks like it's not a pain in the ass to deal with. You it know, really that's isn't. my main thing. It takes six uh, AA batteries. Mm-hmm. I change them once a year. I use the lithium batteries because of the temperatures up at Eagle Lake. Okay. You know? And it'll run oh, God. all year. Damn near all year. Yep. Whoa. Yep. So I always have extra batteries on me. Now I have a fish hawk on my kayak because it's much smaller. Of course, I'm, you know, right there too. And uh, it eats batteries up pretty good, but it, it takes four AAA batteries. Okay. I still use the lithium. I still get maybe four, about four extra hours out of the lithium than I do regular alkaline batteries. Yeah, I, I just, I like the design of the fishing buddy because it's got the transducer and everything's just built right in. There. And it's all one thing and you just strap it on or pop it on and you're done. Yep. yep. Have you had any problems with it um, coming out of the, the mount because it's kind of, you know, actually, it's shaped kind of like this, and you clip you clip the uh, well on my. Line. I've heard well, it pops off like that. Sometimes. If you mount that to a kayak, you're going to get a two mile an hour wobble in it, no matter where you mount. Okay, it. okay, that's why I went with uh, a different depth finder for my kayak. In my float tube, I don't have that, but I don't use that mount. I use the PVC tube that oh, okay. straps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To my U uh, boat. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, all right. You sold me on the on it. I've been thinking about getting a, a you know a flutter and not a flutter too, but a um, fish finder for the reasons we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But um, I just haven't had any good. And good one thing about the the hummingbird the fishing uh, buddy, 
is yeah. that when you pull up into shore, you know you're going in, you just turn it off. Number two is unplug it because the buttons on the front are easily um, pressed, and then all of a sudden you won't have any batteries. Right. So I always unplug it from the power. You know, you don't unplug anything else, just the power. And then I have uh, um, straps that I strap it to right beside me. And, you know, and it's not in my way to carry it down or use uh. backpack straps or anything. And it's lightweight. I mean, I'm only walking a few hundred yards at yeah. most. So, Do you catch a lot of your fish kick trolling or do you do a lot of hand retrieves to Ooh, catch? No, I do. I do both. You know, I mean, I write the Eagle Lake fishing report. So I have to do just about everything. Mm -hmm. So, yep, I have the two rod stamped. So one is always dragging and one uh, the other one I'm working. Oh, okay. okay, yeah. So, so you so, have you, you put the one that you're crafty. dragging in a mount. Uh huh. That and I just wait. Rod holder, fly rod holders on my. Is float that your tube. floating line setup? That... Uh, yeah. It's, well, for the most part, you know, it just depends on what the fish are doing that yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if they're pounding the surface, I'll run an indicator full float. And you know, like a eighteen or twenty midge, mm -hmm. you know, zebra midge, mm -hmm. and knock them dead yeah. on that. Um, <laughs> a lot of time, if I'm dragging that one, I'm usually in a. I'm trying to keep it as still with a little bit of movement, so I'll keep that on the inside of my turns, so that it's not dragging like a troll. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, let's talk mm -hmm. about let's talk about um, your path through the water with, in, with if you're on a tube. Ah, I'm of, I see a lot house. of people go straight. Um, Nick's told me to make big S kind of S's through the water. I work the structure. Okay. You know, if I'm if I'm going straight, I'm on a mission. <laughs> I'm going to where I want to fish. But, you know, for me, you know, I, I know I've been on that lake so long, I know where all the rock piles are. Mm -hmm. So I try to stay outside of the rock pile first and then cast on top of it. Because number one is those fish know that there's not going to be a boat brave enough to go into one to two foot of water. So mm -hmm. a lot of time they'll sit there and sun themselves, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I'll always fish the top of the rock pile first and then get whatever's there. And then I'll land basically on the rock pile and then fish over the edges. Hmm. Interesting. So you'll literally just like get over the middle, stand up on the rock pile and fish out. Well, if I have out. to, if I yeah. have to stand up, sometimes I just ground myself in my float tube, you know. Uh, for trolling, though, I never go in a straight line. You'll never catch me going in a straight line uh, unless I'm, I'm doing seven turning. miles an hour trying to go someplace else to fish and just too lazy to pull my lines out mm -hmm. have i caught fish at seven miles an hour on a fly <laughs> on that lake you bet i have that's why i'll leave my lines on gun that's my kicker funny. and at the maximum speed it pushes my boat at seven miles an hour <laughs> <laughs> and when the rod goes down it's like oh yeah i knew what i was doing <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, wow. i've caught quite a few fish at seven miles an hour on that lake when is um the fall is usually a really popular time to fly fish that. When is a good time to – and I guess what do you look for? Is it because the wind? Do you want wind? Do you want cold? Do you want storms to come in? When it's all about water temperature. It's about when that water temperature begins to drop. Mm -hmm. And typically I will see – You know, I've tracked the weather there for years and years too. Uh, I need three days below 40 degrees. I need three days in the 30s. Okay, or mornings, 
in the 30s, back to back. Three days. Three days. And then I know that water is going to start cooling off. Now it can come back up to 42 or something after those three days. But three days below 40 degrees in the morning, and it'll start, it'll start, the whole fall process will start. Mm. Um, you know, we, we can freeze any month of the year there. Oh, well. You know, um, try growing a garden. <laughs> You'll find that out. No tomatoes, uh, unless they're next to your house, you know, where it can right, southern right. exposure to your house, so you've got that re- heat retention. But typically, I will see um, 30s in August. Mm-hmm. You know, I like 36, 37, back to back to back. I'm a happy camper. I don't even bother with the deeper water at that point. Oh, I, cool. I, I go into basically you know, five to 15 feet. Oh, cool. And then fish the top. Um, and, and weather doesn't really have it. I mean, do you like, Oh, the, the, the worse the weather is on Eagle the Lake, better, the huh? better the fishing is. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Really? Yeah. 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 It's that flat, calm, glassy water They're that just, makes it really They get tough. persnickety. Persnickety. <laughs> yeah. It's like they close their eyes and take a nap, you know. Trout so, trout don't have eyelids. Well, they got two, <laughs> but they're transparent. Uh, <laughs> that's what Jay, uh, Jay would say that yeah. back in the day. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. He's like, they don't like looking in the sun. No, they don't. They will face away from the sun. They'll look for any shade, you know. But, you know, and that's how I troll that lake. Mm. I'm. I don't want to look at the sun either. Mm-hmm. So I want to be coming at the trout. So they're going to face the wind for the current, just mm-hmm. like in a in a river or a stream, and they're going to face away from the sun. So that determines which circles I make and what direction I make when mm-hmm. I'm trolling. That's smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. You want to be coming at them, not coming from behind them. Right. Yeah. Good enough. Okay. Um. Man, I had a oh. So, do you ever do you ever bother fishing the just the inlet from Pine Creek in? It's when, been when too shallow. Running? Well, when the water is right, oh yeah. Oh, I've yeah. spent a lot of time there because it does go underground, um, and and it comes out in the estuary. Well, we didn't mm. dry up totally there. Um, the creek historically makes a, a very sharp southern bend in the low water. And people would think it would just go straight out, out, you know, but it it doesn't. It's done that several times in my lifetime up there that I know that where that bend is. And actually that channel heads towards the youth camp. It just kind of turns out and you just got to follow that channel. But, um, uh, yeah, we've spent a lot of time there uh, early and late in the season. Um, Like I said, the last, you know, over the drought, number one, it was dry. And uh, number two was basically um, there's not a lot of fish there right now. So it's all about the habitat and getting a little bit deeper water. Maybe we still have the eagles and the osprey, and they can easily pluck one of those trout out of there. And they know that. The trout know that. Um, They've been preyed upon by those birds forever and ever and Mm -hmm. ever, and it's just Mm kind of ingrained. They Mm -hmm. know not to put themselves into danger, and if they do, they're going to get eaten. That's why they come up deep, they hit the shallow, Mm -hmm. hit their bugs, and then go right back down. Is that what you're saying? And see, the ospreys can dive underwater. Yeah, I've seen that. Oh, yeah, I mean, they can stay down there for a long time. I saw one disappear underneath the water on their sack and bring a salmon up, Mm -hmm. and about 10-pound salmon. I mean, it disappeared completely under the water. Yeah, oh, I've seen them take big trout, and, and they are not going to let go. 
and that trout will take them down and then <laughs> bomb back up again and down and up and down and up. And finally, that osprey was just doing the breaststroke trying to swim to shore and he mm-hmm. kept one talon on that trout and i mean it was probably a four or five pound trout he couldn't lift it he had to drag it up to shore he pecked the eyes out so the trout couldn't go anywhere <laughs> and had to eat half of it before he took it back to the nest <laughs> i had i was guiding at the time and i had clients out and we just and i said you know what i said let's just watch this we pulled the lines out and just sat there drifting and they said That's you know cool. what we caught all these fish, but that was the highlight, watching that osprey, yeah. you know, fight that fish, and that fish taking him down and bobbing back up again, up and down, up and down. That was pretty cool. Are, are there other tributaries that those fish use? Well, you know, in good water years, yeah. I mean, we've got, you know, little little fingerling uh, tributaries mm-hmm. up in the North Basin along Highway 139. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, we've cleaned out, you know, 2,500 to 2,700 trout out of those when they've really gotten going. Again, it was about the trout that were imprinted up there and knew about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there was six of those. So that, that was a few days work, uh, with fishing game, trying to get those out. And South Basin, we have, you know, predominantly Papoose Creek and Merrill Creek. Mm-hmm. And Little Merrill comes off of, uh, you know, up by Christie Campground. But it's it's pretty small. It has roared on a good, good water year. Uh, there are barriers on all of them to mm-hmm. keep the fish. But they, the fish just fly over those barriers. <laughs> you know, we've had to drive two or three miles up the road to get them out of Papoose and, and Merrill Creek in the past. So you're actually, when the creek gets down too low, you're going up and saving these fish Absolutely. and bringing them back into the yeah. lake. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. So are the, none of those are spring creeks then that come in? No, they are only spring. Oh, no, not spring-fed Right, creeks. that's what I'm at. Yeah. Um, Papoose so, has a spring above it, but it, it, it's usually the first to flow and the last to stop because of that and it comes out of papoose meadows and um uh, you know that it's probably one that could sustain a small native spawn itself you know because of the early and late mm-hmm. um uh, merrill creek doesn't really go anywhere there's not any really good spawning habitat on merrill creek you know, it's pretty soft and dirt and not gravel, per se. When listeners aren't fishing and they come to the area, what's a, is there some good places for them to go or stay, check go. out or well, you know, like sightseeing or anything like that? Or? Yeah, just about anywhere, yeah. you know. Um, well, down at the recreation area, there's a beautiful bike trail. Mm-hmm. And you can walk it from basically from Christie to yep, the that marina is a great trail. And, and beyond. Yep. Uh, there's another trail called the Osprey Trail, and that's from basically Camp Ronald McDonald, and you can walk kind of towards the springs. It kind mm-hmm. of peters out, and you're just walking along the the rocky shoreline of the lake, but it's absolutely beautiful. Um, Spalding, you've got the estuary, which has got all sorts of wildlife in it, even mm-hmm. though when it's not you know producing, you know, have a lot of water or anything like that. We've got beavers that don't really like people so much, so they <laughs> like to make a little noise in there. <laughs> and uh, waterfowl, the the bird the birds up there are incredible, mm-hmm. just incredible. Um, you know, we always went slumming on the dirt roads, and sure. you know. And stuff like that. But, yeah, there is a lot of things to, to see 
and and do and just just in going for a walk antelope and deer and yeah yeah. when we've had a few elk come in really you know we've got you know there's been an elk population that that's been coming and going the last few years oh wow you know so it's a matter they the the elk haven't really come in you know a lot of people don't know we have them Mm -hmm. um so i think they had six tags archery tags last year on them Wow. Out there, so you know, there, there. It just depends on where the water is. Sure. Mm-hmm. Twenty fourteen, I think, was our worst water year, mm-hmm. and so they moved a little bit north up by Beaver, you know, Little Beaver, mm-hmm. and further up where there's better water. Yeah. But uh, they, they a few more came back down in the last couple of years. So, what about guides? If there was, uh, you mentioned you you did guide. I don't know if you still do, but if there was somebody that wanted to book a guide, do you recommend anybody up there? Uh, you know, I've um, I've fished with a kid when he was a kid. He's a family man now. Uh, Robert Muller, mm-hmm. North State Guide Service. Okay, uh, he works really hard for you. I've basically have sent him all my old clients and oh, cool. people that ask me. We've also got. Um, John uh, Bloom from Reading is going to be on the weekends up there. But, you know, we've been hurting for guides up there. You know, yeah. uh, there's some that are better than others. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but if I were to refer anybody, it would be Robert Muller. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Works hard for you. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, so he, so he, he has time to investigate the white house and also guide <laughs> yeah that's it yeah that's it yeah uh, he, he deckhanded for a friend of mine at salmon fished and uh he knows what he's, he's doing nice. he yeah, gives you a good good, tri- good trip yeah. that's what you want just have a good time out there there you go that's what it's all about yeah well, Val, thank you so much for coming in yeah. and talking with us. I, I, I thought I knew a lot about Eagle Lake, but apparently I didn't. You you helped um, explain yeah, a lot. Some good stuff. Yeah. And then what, what's your website one more time? EagleLakeFishing.net. Are you on Facebook? I am under Eagle Lake Fishing and Valerie Aubrey. Okay, cool. cool. Eagle Lake Guardians also. So I, I go back and forth. It depends on what's going on, which page I'm posting on. But I did, yeah. I did this year, this winter, I revamped my website from the old server and a friend of mine uh fixed me up and so we have a whole new website now um and it works great uh there's all sorts of pictures photos you know video gallery that goes to my youtube channel and um and Facebook. I don't put everything on Facebook because you're supposed to go to my website. <laughs> I'm going to definitely check out the Tui Chub piece. So there, you did a whole breakdown of their life history, essentially, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chad and I will have to come up and, and fish with you for well, sure. You better look me up for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd love to. Yeah. Do, you, uh, um, or do you smoke your Eagle Lake trout? I do the big ones if I have to keep them. Uh-huh. I'll, 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 I will keep a two and a half, three pound fish in a heartbeat for food for table fare. Absolutely. And you smoke it or you usually just eat, eat it? Right? Uh, the smaller ones I'm going to eat, the bigger yeah. ones I'm going to smoke. Smoke. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. a secret recipe you'd want to share real quick? Uh, well, uh, not from memory. <laughs> <laughs> she went, guys. Eagle Lake Chatter, they're really good eating fish. So yep. it's a neat fishery. Definitely check it out if you Absolutely. guys get a chance. So, well, thank you again. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. It was really nice meeting you. Likewise. And if you guys like this episode, please rate us on uh, Google Play and uh, what is it, iTunes? That that's Mm -hmm. what Apple has, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hear us on Spotify. Spotify. We're gonna be on Alexa pretty soon. It's not quite ready yet, Uh, but it's getting there. It's getting close. 
But uh, All right. yeah, tight lines, everyone. Good luck fishing out there. This podcast would not be possible without support from our sponsors, Fish Bio and Amped Up Build. Fish Bio is a consulting firm that offers a fresh approach to fishery science. They specialize in fish research, monitoring, and conservation with innovative uses of technology and communication. From their offices in Chico, Oakdale, and Santa Cruz, California, to Vienchen, Laos, Fish Bio is committed to solving natural resource challenges locally and globally. Learn more at www.fishbio.com. And Amp.Build. Amp is a software design and engineering shop located in Chico, California. Amp creates beautiful apps for mobile and desktop devices, wearables, and the Internet of Things. Amp develops native, web, and hybrid apps on a variety of platforms. Chad, who co-hosts this podcast, is the agency's founder. Learn more at www.amp.build.